0: I got into contact with my fear of the cancer coming back. The fear was not something that I should fight against, but it was more something that I should embrace. That was the reason I was there was to be able to deal with that fear and to be able to establish a dialogue with it.
1: I'm Greg Running and I'm Rob Reford. And this is Mind Body
2: Matters. Welcome to our podcast. This is Mind Body Matters, where we talk about all matters of the mind and body because it matters.
1: Yes, it does. It does matter. It does. Greg Reddy and Rob Reeford here. How in the heck are you?
2: I'm kind of feeling kind of like, you know, yucky. It's January, and, you
1: know, I I, I really
2: look forward to the spring,
1: frankly. I actually look forward to the summer. I I would just much rather be uh, out in uh, 30 degrees Celsius weather. <laughs> enjoying my uh, my back deck. But uh, I, I oh, can't really no. do that right now because it's cold up here in Canada. It sure is. So how the heck are you this week? I think I've got a bit of a cold. I've got uh, a little bit of a nasal thing going on. I hear yeah. that. I hear that. But uh, anyway, no, in general, I'm doing fine. Thanks for asking. Do you ever try magic mushrooms for a cold? <laughs> How did I know that question was going to come up? Uh, no, I haven't tried magic mushrooms, but uh, I'm, I'm wondering if it will help this darn cold or whatever I've got right now.
2: Well, that's kind of a bad segue into what we're going to talk about today, right? <laughs> a bad segue?
1: Okay. Yeah. Today, we're going to talk about psilocybin. Uh-huh. and uh and our guest talk about our guest today
2: yeah alice cressey she is a very very credible guest to talk about psilocybin and the reason why is you know we get different experiences in uh like drew bankey no, i mean nothing against drew drew was a great guy very credible guy but he he looked at psychedelics a little bit differently yes and Alice is, is very, very well educated, and she went into a, a clinical trial, a proper clinical trial, mm-hmm. where she was given a high dose of magic mushroom, psilocybin, mm-hmm. and she went to the clinic because it was open for this clinical trial that, that, that they have to work towards legalization to make it legal with the FDA. So she knew that there was a clinical trial available, And at the time, she was struggling with depression and anxiety and all these things that come with recovering from breast cancer. So when she was 40, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Her main company is called Sparkles of Grace, and she helps other women that are recovering from breast cancer and helping them use yoga and meditation to get through recovery because she's been through it. Mm -hmm. And she also has a veterinarian medicine degree, at the National Veterinary School of Alfour in, in Paris. Paris. Wow. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to, to hearing her experience on this. So, Rob, you're going to be sitting back and you're going to be producing the show. Yes. I'm interested to know because you're, you're not like, I'm not comparing, but like you're not a psychotherapist like myself mm-hmm. where, you know, I may ask some kind of clinical questions out of curiosity but from a layman's point of view, while you produce this, I'm interested in hearing your take on this.
1: And now, uh, should I be doing yeah. some magic mushrooms while I'm producing this show, or as a psychotherapist, I don't recommend okay. it without
2: okay. having therapy-assisted programs. All
1: right,
2: <laughs> programs. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right. <laughs> let's bring on our guest today in our
2: studio today, Alice Grasset from Sparkles of Grace, our guest on Mind Body Matters. <laughs> Is it better? Yeah, it's pretty good. You sound pretty Bam. good. Yeah. Can yeah, you hear good. me okay? Okay. Awesome. Yeah, I
0: can hear you. Perfect.
2: Great. Really good.
0: You have a very professional mic. I'm jealous. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thank you. Uh, y- yeah, my co-host and I, we do some voiceover. He does more than I do, but that's what I bought it for. And so then now I'm using it for the podcast, but it works quite nicely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that looks like a nice setup.
2: It's a. Uh, a Rode microphone, often used in, uh, in broadcasting. I can probably get okay. away with, you know, simpler equipment, but I'm a, I'm a bit of a tech nerd.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And then the quality is very good. I was listening, you know, to the podcast earlier. And, oh, good, um, good. The sound on your side was really, really good. I'm, I'm not, a, you know, an expert in sound, but um, in the hey, past, it sounds, you That know, sounds good. Uh,
2: that's the main thing, you know. Yeah,
0: seriously.
2: <laughs> yeah we, uh, we hope so. And having guests like yourself, sure, means more than than just the sound. And I appreciate that you set aside the time to talk to me. We had a really good conversation a little while ago yeah. um, about what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. And very, very interested, now that I've read a little bit more about the uh, Aquilino uh, Center, uh, and that's part of Johns Hopkins, right?
0: That's a very good question. I'm not exactly sure how they're connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some connection that's at some level. And in the publication, it's done by Sunstone Therapies.
2: Sunstone, um, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so
0: I think they have a group. Um, so they're organized, you know, as Sunstone. And it's part of the Aquilino Center. And I think somewhere there is some kind of connection with Johns Hopkins. Um, Bill Richards, um, right. uh, who appears on the, on the Michael Cullen, uh, documentary worked at John Hopkins, I think for, for many years. So I think somewhere there is a, there is a, yeah, yeah there's a connection somewhere.
2: Yeah. There's a connection somewhere. I think it might be, um, but very impressed with the Netflix documentary. Uh, I, I realize I saw it before, but you mentioned that it's the second episode about the Aquilino Center. This is where you went.
0: Yeah. And so the the son of Bill Richards, Brian Richards, yeah, he's a he's psychologist my therapist. Yeah, he's my therapist. Really?
2: Yeah. Oh, wow, because he's they're talking about how uh Bill is is passing the 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 baton, the torch to his son yeah. uh, to continue on with psilocybin uh, research and what a great combination a guy that's a, that's what's been doing psilocybin research since the seventies and is you know reintroduced yeah. it it's been intru- reintroduced and so he's obviously the expert and his son is involved with the practice yeah. and he does the therapy part. I think that's so cool,
0: yeah, they work together and so Bill Richards came for the dozing day. I think it was probably you know like in the shadows the other days, but for the dozing day it was it was really present so he has witnessed so many people, you know, go through through the trial. So that is really able to um, to give you the, the best guidance possible. So it was really lovely to have him. Yeah.
2: It sounds like you were in really good hands. Yeah. Love to talk about that. I'm going to rewind a bit. I'm interested to know a bit about your early life. But the question that we ask at the beginning of each episode is how the person sees mind and body. So, what thoughts do you think influence our experience and, and uh, impact our body?
0: Yeah, so I think body and mind, they're very, very closely intertwined, right? they It's a system. They really go together. I think at some level, we all have a sense of how our thoughts can influence our body, mm-hmm. uh, especially negative thoughts. We probably all have experienced that.
1: Oh, every day,
2: um, every day, Alice. <laughs>
0: So I think maybe an example would be, you know, it's the end of the year and a lot of people in the corporate world are going to go for their year-end evaluation, right? So if we imagine the scenario of me being an employee going to see my boss for my year-end evaluation and my boss starts the discussion not by telling me about what I've done right during the year, but directly going into what I could have done better, you know, the things I've missed and so on. And they start to think, you know, that's unfair. I've done so much for the company. I've worked so hard. Uh, I I worked on the weekend. I took projects from my colleague who was sick. And you can feel, you know, the frustration and the anger Right. You know, and at the end, we may call, you know, I might say, well, my boss really is a jerk. And in a few hours from now, I may start to feel some stomach pain, you know, because I'm ruminating those negative thoughts and I start to feel it in my body. Probably, you know, I'm not going to sleep very well at night for a few days. If I've got very good coping mechanism, I'm going to be fine. But if each time I see my boss, I'm going to get triggered again. And over time, if I keep that stress, that frustration, and that anger in my body, I may develop something like high blood pressure or diabetes or who knows, maybe even heart disease. So I think we've all experienced, you know, these little stories about negative thoughts influencing our, 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 our body. But there's also the positive thoughts influencing our body. And I think that's very, very interesting so we've heard about the placebo effect, right? So we give a, a pill to a patient, telling them that it's cutting-edge science, that they're going to feel better, and it's just a sugar pill. But they do feel better. The the symptoms starts to uh to go away, but after a few days you go back and you tell them, well, you know, actually that was an experiment, and we just gave you a sugar pill. The symptoms may very likely come back. So. Here it was really the belief in the science that influenced the body and the symptoms, you know, started to decrease. So it's interesting to see, to see that link. And also the influence of the body on the mind. I think it's also the other way around, which is super interesting. And I really like a study which was done, um, at the University of Pittsburgh where they did uh, a mapping of the pathways between our cortex and the adrenal medulla. So, you know, in our adrenal gland, which is just above the kidney, we have the medulla part, yeah. which produce our stress hormones when we have to react very quickly to a stressful condition. And they showed that some areas in our brain, in our cortex, linked to cognition are linked to that adrenal medulla but also saw mortar cortex. So areas responsible for movement are also linked to the adrenal medulla. And one area, which is especially interesting for a yoga teacher like me, which is the area responsible for axial movement and for posture. You know, to our students in yoga, we always talk about the importance of having a good posture, but it's fascinating to see that with science, we're able to show that If I have a good posture, I actually give the message to my body that it's okay, that I can relax. I don't have to, you know, to produce those stress hormones. So it's really fascinating to see that it's also the mind, sorry, the body influencing the mind and not only the mind influencing the body.
2: I got to say that's one of the best responses I've had so far for that question, because that, that's the theme of the show, right? It's the focus of the show is how is there a connection between mind and body? And wow, th- th- that was amazing. Thank you. You, you mentioned that you, you grew up in France. We talked about this on the phone. You went to business school and uh, a veterinary medicine school in in France. What was it like growing up? Just a bit about your early life.
0: Uh, So I grew up in the countryside uh, in a small village, so not much to do. Uh, So I had a lot of dreams about traveling, about going to different places. And at the end of high school, I was not really sure what to do. Um, So I liked biology, I like animals. So I decided to try veterinary school. Uh, So I You know managed to get into the school but um after two three years uh i became allergic to pet dandruff
2: oh no
0: um we were you know practicing blood drawn sheep and i didn't know but i'm super allergic you know to the lanolin so the fat which is on the wall of the sheep and from there it was horses and cats and dogs and the soap, the gloves, everything. Uh, So I had to make a decision, you know, because I I could not practice. I didn't really want to go into research. So I finished my veterinary degree and then I went to a business school. And when you have the two backgrounds, the business and the science, I mean, the most logical uh, next step is to go into the pharmaceutical industry. So I accepted a job in the pharmaceutical industry and I moved to Belgium. Uh, so I spent several years in Belgium working uh, for a large pharmaceutical industry, working for their vaccine division. And I mean, it's, I learned a lot. I had so many opportunities through that job. Uh, I worked on their uh, malaria vaccine program. I was doing uh, media relations at the time. So we were going with reporters in Africa uh, during the clinical trials. And now the, the vaccine is in use. So it's really great to see the results. Uh, I got to work on the eradication with the WHO. So I had so many great opportunities in my pharmaceutical uh, role and that, you know, since then, I've, I've moved on, and uh, now I own a business with, with my husband.
2: Uh, sparkles of Grace is the name, is, am I right?
0: Yeah. So we have two business. So one is uh, Yapura Wellness. So uh, so it's a small studio. My husband is a massage therapist, and he also teaches yoga, and I teach yoga, meditation, and I do coaching. And I've got a specific program just for Women recovering from breast cancer, which is called Sparkles of Grace.
2: And I'm sure what motivated you to create Sparkles of Grace is your own personal experience. Uh, Do you mind sharing a bit about your journey through that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I moved to the U.S. in 2016. And about a year after moving, I got diagnosed with breast cancer. So as you can imagine, it's um, a shock. Uh, lots of fear, lots of unknowns, um, lots of sadness, and also um, a sense of losing control. Um, As soon as you're being diagnosed, you're being told that you have to go for additional exams, an MRI, an ultrasound, and then the surgery schedule. So you feel that the, the doctors are, in a way, taking over your body. And, you know, as I was going through that, I thought I really want to play my own part in my healing. I really want to take ownership of my health and my well-being. And I did a number of changes in terms of my lifestyle, especially around the diet. And I also turned to yoga and meditation. So I was already practicing on a regular basis, but I started to practice every day. And I also started to work with one of my hypnosis teacher. Um, so I was taking a training in hypnosis in New York. And one of the main teacher um, was also a breast cancer survivor. So I started to work with her. And the combination of the yoga and the meditation and the coaching really helped me go through um, you know, this um, experience of, of cancer. I found um, the diary, and you know that I had during the time when I was going through uh, through my cancer treatment, and because we're talking about how thoughts, you know, influence our body, so you know, I've recorded my thoughts from that time. So I thought it would be interesting to look at mm-hmm. it again, and there was a very very strong desire to live. That's really what is in the diary: is this desire to do things, to discover new things, travels, but also the desire to connect to something bigger. For me, it was a time of uh, personal growth, but also spiritual development. So, you know, we we talked at the beginning of discussion about how thoughts influence, influence the body. At that stage in my journey, I was in a very positive state of mind. There was a time where things were more complicated. Um, it was about three years uh, after cancer remission. It was during the um, COVID time. I started to develop a very, very strong anxiety, fear of recurrence that was on my mind all the time. So I couldn't feel. Weird pains in my body. I was feeling dizzy and my brain was going, Oh my God, that's cancer coming back. And that was a really challenging time. But it was very difficult to get out of that rumination of that Mm -hmm. constant fear of the cancer recurring. And my oncologist, you know, when I talked to her, she recommended for me to talk with a therapist. And so, I met with uh, Brian Richards, uh, who is a therapist at the Aquilino uh, Cancer Center in Maryland, and is involved in clinical trials using um, psilocybin at the center. They've been doing this trial since a few years, focusing first on patients with advanced stage of cancer.
2: Like fourth stage, you mean?
0: Yes, yes. So they started with, really, you know, really with patients at um end of their life. Right. With really advanced stages uh, of their cancer. But progressively, they were opening to all stages of cancer. Told me about the trial. He said, yeah, if you're interested, you know, you can go through the process to get enrolled. And I had, a, you know, listening to him and I had a really good feeling. I was very curious about how that could help me because I didn't have any other solution. I had tried my meditation, my yoga, my hypnosis. You know, I had all of that already in place, but there was a part in my brain which was was stuck. And I thought, yeah, maybe with psilocybin, there is something there. Maybe there's something that can actually help me. And the fact as well that it was in a medical setting with a very strong, robust infrastructure was very, right. very reassuring.
2: And something you relate to because you were in the pharmaceuticals industry doing trials, right?
0: That it's uh, MDA control, but there's no a yeah. good framework. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's study objectives. And yeah, that was very reassuring, you know, for, for somebody coming from the pharmaceutical industry. I would not have done it, you know, going to a retreat in some exotic country. Right. I would not have done that. Uh, The fact that it was in a medical setting was very reassuring. Yeah.
2: Any experience before the trial, anything that you read up on the use of psychedelics? Did you yourself have any experience with recreational psychedelics? Did you kind of become familiar over the years or was psilocybin, magic mushrooms, just totally new for you?
0: So it was really totally new for me. Uh, I had not used um, psychedelics before. I didn't do much research. Before the trial, I I mean, Dr. Richards explained to me uh, about the trial, about what was observed for the other patients, what were the expected benefits. So he he really, you know, walked me through all of that. But I didn't, you know, looked into literature or, you know, I I think I felt the trust for my therapist and I just, you know, decided to go for it. So
2: very little fear going into it?
0: Apprehension. You know, I'm not sure I can really call it it fear, but not knowing what to expect. And um, so, but I'm not sure it was really fear. It was more like a little bit of nervousness and, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, not being sure what to expect. I think that's the best. Do you
2: feel kind of excitement as to the potential?
0: Yeah, I think there was indeed some excitement about the Potential, um, especially because at the time I was feeling so stuck, had a lot of hope that it could help me uh, so I think I, I came into the trial with yeah a very strong desire in a way for for the psilocybin to be beneficial. you know I really needed some help.
2: The reason I ask is because what I understand uh, with the psychiatrist that I was talking to about the the use of psilocybin and other psychedelics that depending on your going into it and what your intent is, what your experience is going into it has an effect on the experience. So a little apprehension, but also maybe not so much excitement, but hope that it's going to be beneficial. So it sounds like you went in with the, the right mindset.
0: And I think also the preparation, which is done, you know, ahead of the dosing is very important because we talk about that. Um, in the preparation, we talk about what is the intention. We talk also about the fear, the resistance that we may experience as we start to go through the journey.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And one of the recommendations, you know, is to be open and to let go. And being able to have this discussion ahead of time, I think it was very helpful if i was just taking the uh, the medicine by myself i'm not sure i would have been in the right mindset if i had not had that preparation i think that was a very important part
2: what happened next after the preparation part for what i understand it's a very medical room that you go into so what was the experience going into the room
0: uh it's more like um not like a bedroom, more like a small office with a nice sofa. <laughs>
2: oh, okay, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, so, I actually had several visits ahead of time um, to prepare for the um, the dosing for the dozing day. Uh, you know, they take some skills, psychological scale, skill, uh, to see where where you are. We have discussion about the experience. Um, some blood draw EKJ you know they they do a lot of testing to make sure that everything is fine and then over a week you come back every single day so Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday is a dozing day and Friday you come back for integration so an entire week an for, entire week um, oh, I didn't yeah, know an that entire week
2: oh wow
0: uh, I mean it's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the three-first day is just to come for a few hours, discussion with a therapist, um, some vital parameters. The Thursday is the entire day because it's when you receive the medication. And then the integration again is, is a few hours, but it's over a week. Um, so you really feel, you know, that great support because, you know, it's it's an entire week where you get the attention of, of the team, of the therapist. So, yeah. And then the morning of the of the dosing day, uh, so you go into that room, which is like a little office with a nice sofa, and that can unfold like in bed. And so um, uh, it's nicely decorated, very soothing, and you receive the, the medicine. So it's administered, you know, as a capsule because it's a clinical trial, so it's not a mushroom right', right. It's the synthetic
2: you g- they gave you a a capsule, and what happened yeah. next
0: so uh, uh, I think in the study they give uh twenty five micrograms, so it's considered being a high dose and after taking you know after swallowing the the capsule after a few minutes, you're being asked to lie down on this nice sofa I told you about mm-hmm. and you have a night weighted blanket um headphones eye uh, mask, you know, to block all night and you start to listen to music, to the music and really to go uh, on the journey, you know, and you'll start tripping, right? Because uh, that's <laughs> how it's called. So um, it's very difficult to put words to, I think the words do not describe fully the experience. It's a little bit like being in a dream state, but still being conscious. You're able to go to the bathroom. You're able to eat. You're able to continue to have a discussion with your therapist because the therapist stays there for eight hours. Eight hours with you in the room. But when you lie down and when you close your eyes, you have those images and this message that are given to you in a way. And something that was very surprising is what they call time distortion. The fact that you lose the sense of time. I remember um, several moments in in my journey where I asked my therapist what time it is. And he would say, what time do you think it is? And I thought like (laughs) 10 hours had passed, but it was just 30 minutes, right? Wow. A very, very short time because you really lose that sense of time. That's that's something very, very striking. And then I think the very strong moments for me in the journey was, one was the dissolution of the ego, right? That's something that I think most of the people going through a psychedelic journey uh, report is the fact that you lose your sense of of self in a way, so you were no longer Alice and her little stories, right? You were part of something bigger. So that that was a very important moment in the journey. From a visual standpoint, the way I experienced it was that I was a little doll, and somebody was playing with the doll and dropped it. And when the doll, dropped, it's broken to pieces. And this this was this part where I felt I was no longer my story. I was no longer the doll. I was part of something bigger. Something also in the journey was the fact that I got into contact with my fear. Uh, So the fear of the cancer coming back. And I was able to realize that the fear was not something that I should fight against. But it was more something that I should embrace. That something that I was asking for love and for my care. Um, so that was also something very meaningful because you know that that was the reason I was there was to be able to deal with that fear and to be able to meet the fear and establish a dialogue with it.
2: A, a dialogue with with the fear. So yeah. the fear was fear of recurrence, right?
0: The fear of recurrence. Yeah, the fear of recurrence, the fear of dying, you know? Yeah. How, yeah. how can
2: you have a dialogue with fear?
0: Because symbols are fantastic. <laughs> I think you <laughs> United States. <laughs> so in the journey, a lot of the meaning comes to you through symbols. And for me, my fear came through the image of a hedgehog. So this tiny hedgehog, so uh, spiky, uh, you know, with a big, big, big spike and being able to start having that dialogue and to and dis- understand that it was actually this tiny thing that just needed to be held and to be embraced, you know, so that completely changed my relationship, how I relate to my fear. I really established a very different connection with my fear. Does that make sense? <laughs>
2: It does. It does, because I have heard of some experiences of symbols, and you mentioned seeing yourself as like a doll and a hedgehog. Uh, you know what? Makes perfect sense to me, only because I, I I have done some research and a couple of interviews regarding it. But tell us more what happened after you you embraced the fear of recurrence. At some
0: point, I I arrived to a space which was like a waterfall. But in the waterfall, it was stories. It was possibilities, choices, you know, different scenarios um, about life, about, you know, all the different possibilities of creation. So it was like the waterfall of creation in front of my own eyes. And I had this very strong realization that I was not my stories. You know, as human beings, we, we all have those stories about, I'm a veterinarian, I went to a business school, you know, all of that, these are the stories. This is not me. This is not who I am deep inside. And I had that very, very strong realization that I didn't need to identify with those stories and that I was part of something larger, that I was having those stories, but I was not the story. And in that space, there was this sense of peace, um, non-judgment, and equanimity, you know, this very, very deep peace, but without any judgment. I cannot say love. I wish I could say, yes, I had this blissful experience of love during my journey. But yeah, for me, it was this Unlimited sense of peace.
2: Wow, everything was okay regarding you can embrace and let go of the fear or the peace, and that everything's going to be okay about everything.
0: And bigger space of bigger space of consciousness. Everything was okay.
2: This experience that you had, like at what stage of the the process and the trial did this happen?
0: So um, so that was during the dosing day. Um, so there's just one dose, which is given to uh, in the trial. Oh, okay. And yeah, so it's a high dose. It's considered a high dose, but it's just one dose. And after there's um, integration, so the day after, there's discussion with a the therapist, discussion as a group, because two other persons were on the trial at the same time. So we had opportunities to share what we wanted to share about our own journey and then after that a few weeks after I came back to the center for some follow up so more discussion with the therapist more integration more of the you know blood parameters and everything so until um until the end uh, of the study which actually for me was this summer uh, because I was in the follow up period for the for the study so it's you know it, it was for um
2: so the summer of 2023
0: yes so it was and i did the dosing in the summer of 2021 so it was two years in total being in the study
2: in the paper that you gave me and thank you by the way i i, I found it fascinating the the details of the trial it said that based on the self-report and like you said the questionnaires that they they brought to you uh even after two years they said that uh, over Fifty percent, 53 percent decrease in self-rated depression and anxiety. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah. Was it a lasting decrease, a, a, a lasting effect over the two years? Did it fade? I was curious what the questions would have been asked after two yeah. years.
0: I mean, the the question, because it's a clinical trial, you know, it's very standardized. Um, so they're using standardized questionnaire to evaluate where you are so that they can really measure and make some measurements in terms of uh, progress. I mean, my perception, my personal perception for um, my own experience is that the results were really lasting and continue to last.
2: They continue to last.
0: Yeah, continue to last. How I relate to death, how I relate to the fear of recurrence of my cancer, um, how I relate to life. I think I enjoy life more than I was before. Um, so there's there's a number of learnings coming from the experience that are still are playing a very important role. And so because I'm no longer in the trial, I'm allowed now to talk about it. And You know, it's it's really wonderful for me to have the discussion with you because being able to think again about it and put it into words and sharing, right, what it was, is actually helping me, you know, integrate even further the experience.
2: Did you share with friends? I'm sure. I I mean, I'm honored that you're that you're sharing this with us today. But what was your experiences with the first few people that you shared the experience in the trial with?
0: I mean, everybody was very supportive. I think, you know, it's it's so difficult to put words. So sometimes, you know, you, you struggle being able to communicate um, what you've experienced. But overall, people were very positive and very intrigued. And some of them interested, you know, some people would like to, to try. Uh, so, yeah.
2: So today, w- at what degree of fear of recurrence of cancer do you have now compared to going into the trial?
0: Uh, I think before before the trial, I was probably at a, from a scale from 0 to 10. I was probably at a 10 plus.
2: 10 plus. Oh, my. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I was really... It was the anxiety talking, right? It was from a scientific standpoint, from medical standpoint, you know, if I ju- just use my rational brain, giving the 10 was not making sense, but from an anxiety standpoint, I was at 10. And now I think I'm more around a two or a three, so it's not gone, but I relate to it completely differently.
2: What is life like since? We talked a bit about the respect for the experience, but also we talked about the respect for psilocybin. Psilocyba is um, present in, in a number of types of mushrooms. Uh, some people just figure it's just like one type of mushroom, but it's a plant medicine. It's been around for a long time. And you know, I talked a bit about respect for the plant and I'd like to hear more from you about now that you went through this experience, what respect do you have for it?
0: Oh, that's that's a beautiful question. I think it's, it's wonderful that um, scientists like Bill Richards and Brian Richards and other scientists in the U.S. and in other countries are opening, you know, that door again of the use of the psychedelics. For cancer patients, but also for people with depression, PTSD. I mean, there's probably a number of areas where psychedelics could bring some, um, some help um, to people. But on one hand, um, I think there's also a potential risk that psychedelics could you know, go into and then that people start to use psychedelics more for a recreational purposes.
2: That's my big concern too.
0: Yeah, and that they lose the intention and that they lose the purpose of why using really this this plant medicine. Taking psilocybin and binging on Netflix for several hours, I think people are missing the point all these traditional cultures have been using psilocybin with a guide, experimented guide. And I think that's very important that we respect that and we respect the f- framework because it's possible that some people will have bad trips, right? We know about people having bad experience and possible um long-term consequences for having a bad trip. But I think that if we have the right framework, if we have the right intention, then we minimize the risk for this to happen. But that requires to manage it correctly and to use it in in the correct way. So, I mean, it's it's great in a way to see so much enthusiasm for psychedelics, but we should do it one step at a time, and we should do it, you know, we should really think about how, how we are implementing it. To me, I think the priority should be the patients, cancer patients, people with PTSD, depression, and so on. Then there should be a medical framework for them to have access to psychedelics, That it should be affordable. Something new, sometimes people go for money, so...
2: Yeah, um, that's another concern of mine, too.
0: Yeah. So I, I think and I hope that very smart people, you know, like Bill Richards and others are going to really think that through so that suddenly there's a decision to put it back into the closet. That would be such a shame. I think we really need to do it carefully and mindfully so that the right people can benefit from it in the right way.
2: Thank you for that. That's a very eloquent. The Netflix show I found interesting, but I'd like to know your opinion. I kind of found it like leaning a little bit more towards the entertainment value. There was a lot of um, illustration and some, you know, some wild descriptions of, for example, Michael Pollan's um, experience with it. Michael Pollan is very, very well known, and in if you've seen the uh, the show, the listeners would would know who I'm talking about. The show, like I said, was more. On, I think, uh, on entertainment value, I'm sure that just much like words, it wasn't, you know, enough to experience. What was your experience with uh, the episode? Do you think it's accurate? Do you think it's helpful?
0: Um, I think they did a good job, um, you know, talking about the the story of the use of psychedelics, the experiments that were done in the 60s, and how. This was then stopped in the seventies, and the reason why I think they they did a good job talking about the story and to, talking about the lady in Mexico, you know.
2: Yeah, Maria Sabina, I think is her right. name, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, Maria Sabina, who introduced psilocybin to this gentleman who was very interested by mushrooms and how it spread in the in the US, and so I think they they really did a good job on the storytelling they also show how the trials mm-hmm. you know um, take place in the Aquilino Center so I think all that part is very accurate overall I think they did pretty good job but um, if people are more interested by um, the spiritual part of the of the experience I think there's probably probably books that are that are more interesting I mean there's the, the books by by Bill Richards which is Sacred knowledge, psychedelics, and religious experience.
2: Oh, I'm not aware of that book. Oh,
0: um, yeah, and that's that's a great book because it, Bill Richard has so much experience working with psychedelics, and he really puts this put it into the the into the context and and talk about the spiritual dimension of the of the experience. So, yeah, if if people are interested by that dimension, I think his book is, is really a great resource.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. Um, we'll talk about resources in a moment, but I'd like to know more about Sparkles of Grace. Do I understand that in, it was in 2021 that you, you left the corporate world and then opened the Wellness Center with your husband? Tell me a little bit more about uh, about that program and what Sparkles of Grace is doing for cancer survivors. You
0: know, as, as part of My cancer journey, I really um, spent a lot of time thinking about what I wanted, you know, in my life. I think I came to realize that a lot of what I had done so far was driven by other people's opinion. We all have those beliefs about what we should do, right? What is success? What we should do at different times in our lives. And I've really felt, you know, that the cancer was telling me, hey, remember, you know, life has an end and make sure that you live your life to the fullest. I made some big changes and including leaving the pharmaceutical industry to have my own business because I really wanted to focus on what was important to me and that was, you know, all the work that I was doing with yoga and meditation and with coaching. So I really wanted to um, be able to serve people and by offering these tools. Um, so my husband was already in the wellness industry. Um, he also has uh, a corporate background. I mean, is uh, an engineer by background. So, and he switched to, uh, to massage therapist. About ten years ago, so he had already done the switch, and since we had complementary skills, we decided, well, let's have a business together. Um, so it's it's a small business. We really like to give a lot of attention to our clients, um, so we spend a lot of time, you know, with our clients, and and we love it. You know, it's 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 really a great environment for us to to do what we love and to to share that with other people. And because of my experience, you know, with the cancer and also because I went through the psilocybin trial, I really wanted to share with women who are going through the same experience of breast cancer. And so I decided to build a specific program to help them through their journey. And especially, you know, for... Just after treatment, when your doctor tells you, hey, you are in remission, I'm going to see you in six months, and then you are supposed to go back to your new normal. And it's a very challenging time. So I really want to be able to help women, you know, in that specific um, stage of their journey. And I, I combine the yoga and the meditation and the coaching together. Because the yoga is going to help reconnect with the body, helping with the side effects of the treatment, uh, calming down the mind and creating a safe space where then, you know, you can start to process the emotions where, you know, all the fears, all the trauma, you can start really to process that. And you can also start to work on the mind, right? On all the, the thoughts. And also to look at how do you want to, to live your life moving forward? So what is important to you? What is your purpose? How can you bring meaning into your life? And like we were saying, you know, living your life to the fullest. So I think it's important to look at the full spectrum. So to be able to integrate what happened, you know, the cancer experience, but then to be able to use it as a catalyst. To build a life which is even more fulfilling, you know, even happier than you had before. I think that's possible.
2: I imagine women in your program bring up something that, that you went into the trial with, with like a 10 plus is the fear of recurrence. Uh, how do you help women in the program process that?
0: Yeah, so that's, that's really where going into the body is going to be very, very important. So, to be able to create enough sense of safety so that you can hold that thought, so that you can hold the thought of a potential recurrence and the fear associated with it. And that's also where I like to use, um, you know, hypnosis and the generative trends, because we can tap into the resources of our subconscious and and find solutions that our cognitive mind would not have found just by itself. So it's about opening up to more resources and to be able to change the way we relate to the fear.
2: I love what you said when we talked. You, you described it as that you help survivors find harmony in mind, body, spirit. I think that was wonderful.
0: Yeah, because yeah, it, it it's really, we were you know, speaking about systems and interdependencies, all of that works together. We cannot just look at the mind and not look at the body, you know, and we cannot just look at the body and forget what's happening in the mind. That's a spectrum. We have to look at it in a holistic way. So, and that's, that's really why I, I combine those different modalities is because I believe that they help us cover this four elements, you know, body, mind, emotions, and spirit.
2: What a great opportunity in your program that you're able to do that, you know, help people, you know, find harmony and also spirit too, and integrate that as well. Winding down, um, how would someone get in touch with you regarding Sparkles of Grace? I think you got a website, right?
0: Yeah, so I've got a website. So it's www.sparklesofgrace.com. People can also find me on LinkedIn. I've got a profile under my name. And then I'm on Instagram. So it's Sparkles of Grace by Alice. So I think that's the, the best way to, to reach out.
2: Excellent. What I'll do is I'll, I'll put those in the show notes as well. We talked quite a bit about doc, Dr. Bill Richards at Aquilino. Can you tell us the, uh, the name of the book again?
0: So his book is Sacred Knowledge, Psychedelics and Religious Experiences. It's under the name William Richards, but people call him Bill.
2: I think it's amazing, and I, I don't know much about him, but I, I saw him in the uh, the documentary. It's so cool to see a doctor talk about spiritual experiences <laughs> because that's that's not usually the case for for physicians and and people in the in the uh, the medical community to talk about uh, spirituality. But a wonderful guy, and I'm glad you had such a a great opportunity to be in that program.
0: Yeah, and. Also, to acknowledge the great work of the doctor, with the lead investigator in the study, uh, Doctor Manish Agrawal. Um, hopefully, I'm saying his name correctly. Uh, he's an oncologist, and he has also, I think, a, a degree in religious science. I mean, he studied oh, wow. religion. Yeah, wow. in, he, studied, he studied spirituality. Uh, key in making that trial happen, you know, at the Aquilino Center and his way of looking at how to help cancer patients in the best way possible, I think is very innovative compared to more traditional Western doctors that are very much focused on the physical aspect. This doctor also integrates the spiritual aspect. So I wanted to acknowledge as well, Dr. Agrawal, for that.
2: Excellent. And I'll also put his uh, his name in the uh, the show notes. It's interesting how earlier we're, you know, we're talking about how we're getting closer. We still have a way to go closer to embracing holistic uh, ways of integrating mind, body and spirit that has been around for a long time, like yoga and meditation. And I, I have a lot of hope for more of the, the clinical trials because I, I just, you know, I can't deny what I've heard so far in experiences. And, and once again, really honored to have you, you on the show and, and shared your experience in the clinical trial.
0: No, my pleasure. I feel that I've been blessed to be able to participate in that trial. I think it was a wonderful opportunity. And I think it's almost my duty, you know, to be able to recognize the great work done by these wonderful doctors and to let people know, you know, people that could be in the same situation and that's maybe hesitating to participate in a clinical trial, you know, just to give them the, you know, the reassurance that if it's done right, you know, they're going to be, I mean, it's most likely that it's going to help them. So to be able to bring them that reassurance that it's it's something that is that has been very, very helpful for me.
2: And also thank you for talking about and expressing from your point of view regarding the respect for plant medicine. I think it's very important, especially in, you know, Knowledge of that experience that Maria Sabina had, in, in Mexico she was shunned by by yeah. the community because people yeah. took advantage of the plant medicine, did not respect it for what it is. And uh, I appreciate you know what you what you said. We'll end with your quote that I asked. I asked for your favorite quote, and happens to be my favorite person for quotes is Henry David Thoreau. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lives within us. What does that mean for you? Why is that a favorite quote of yours?
0: So I I think as human beings, you know, we get trapped into stories, stories about the past and stories about the future, how we wish things had been or how we would like things to be. And we get lost in that sort of virtual reality. But if we go within, if we really connect and go beyond the stories, beyond all the masks that we've built through time, then we are able to connect with our essence. We're able to connect with the divine within us. And when I named my business, you know, Sparkle of Grace, it was to. Acknowledge the fact that we all have that divine part. We all that have that sparkle of grace within us. So that's really, for me, what the quote means. So it's stories are stories. Just look inside and you're going to be able to connect to something really beautiful.
2: And you had the opportunity to meet Alice's stories. And as you said, in your experience, you realized that you aren't Alice's stories.
0: Absolutely. I'm having those stories, but I am not my stories. Yeah.
2: All of this was wonderful. I really appreciate your time, Alice.
0: Thank you, Greg. That was a real pleasure. It was really nice. And I like, you know, the questions or exchange. That was, that was really good. Thank you for making me so comfortable. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you for making me feel comfortable. I, I really appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks again.
1: And we're back. What do you think of that? Wasn't that cool? Yes. What a, honestly? What a what a lovely guest. And you know, uh, we talked about this earlier. She's a different interview from, uh, say, a uh, uh, former guest we had on the show, uh, Drew Banky. And uh-huh. and as you as you uh-huh. mentioned, not taking anything away from Drew, but it's just nice to hear you know someone who's gone through a clinical uh, trial and uh-huh. uh, and and her take on it. But love listening to her. I loved hearing about her experiences too. And you know, you're, you're changing my mind on this. When when you first talked about the use of psilocybin and
2: yeah, when we, we interviewed uh, uh, Doctor Singh, Singh, yes,
1: uh, was one of our first uh, episodes. I have to, I have to admit, when uh, you know, going back to that interview, I, I'm, I'm going, are you on drugs, Greg? You know, uh, <laughs> I thought, you know, you're you're a great psychotherapist, but apparently, this is becoming a thing. And, mm-hmm. and it's changed mm-hmm. to people's lives, as it did our guest today.
2: Someone else that I talked to that had uh, cancer, they said that the doctors, you know, they were very attentive and helped the person. Once they are in remission, there wasn't any support. And that's where Alice comes in with sparkles of grace that she started. Like, she quit her corporate career. Like, she was working in, in uh, pharmaceuticals. Yes. And she, she quit that when she was in remission from breast cancer and started Sparkles of Grace. And that's dedicated to working with women in recovery from breast cancer that have all these things that she was dealing with. And then she took her experience in teaching yoga and meditation and is using that to help others. And I, I'm quite impressed that there is a program or actually unimpressed in some ways that there hasn't been a program like that in the past for people in recovery from breast cancer. So uh, listeners, if you have experienced breast cancer uh, or a family member, uh, sparkles of grace. We'll, we'll mention more of it at the end here. Mm -hmm. I'd like to mention a few things about this Dr. Bill Richards, because I was on the phone yesterday with our very good friend, Doctor Robert,
1: Doctor, remember yes, Robert Shepard Yes, Doctor Rob, and uh, he, he will be on uh, on the on the show coming up. That's and- right. He's going to be on the next one
2: because I called him up and I said, "Hey, you got to listen to the one uh, episode on ayahuasca with Drew Banky." And I said that Rob and I are going in the studio, and we're going to be interviewing Alice Grisay, who is going into a, a clinical study with a Johns Hopkins psychologist built. Program Because as as Bill Richards, I mean, he was with Johns Hopkins, and I believe he still is. So we're going to get Dr. Robert Shepard, or as this segment is going to be called, Dr. Robert, to look into what he knows about Dr. Bill Richards. Because he mentioned a few things that weren't really discussed in the interview. I mean, a credible guy. I mean, he studied psychedelics in Germany as far back as 1963. Then he came over to the U.S., He's someone that was involved in the early clinical trials. We're talking like 1967 to 1977. Dr. Richards did experiments with LSD Mm -hmm. at the Spring Grove State Hospital in Cantonsville, Maryland. And some people are aware of that early use of LSD, but actually LSD, much like psilocybin today, was considered to be something that they should pay attention to for alcoholism heroin addiction depression anxiety they even looked at how it may help terminally ill uh, uh cancer patients back
1: like then. who would have thought seriously I that, know, th- th- and I know. that's what I, i'm finding this topic especially to me is now fascinating So you've, you've had your doubts,
2: you know, in the last few episodes when we're talking. I really, I really
1: have. And after listening to her today, I'm, I'm finding this whole thing with psilocybin, magic mushrooms. I'm finding it fascinating.
2: Yeah, I am too. And believe me, you know, no, I wasn't on drugs when we first had that first episode. Sorry to, to, uh, to disappoint me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But what I did for that first episode with Dr. Singh, and if anybody's interested in looking it up, it's uh, one of our first three episodes where we interview a psychiatrist who is planning on using psychedelics in his practice in addition to psychiatric medication. Really, really interesting guy. Mm -hmm. But because I knew that that interview was coming up, I did a bunch of research because as a psychotherapist, but also my background is working with people in addiction. And psilocybin and a lot of psychedelics were used in addition to other uh, substance of abuse. So I I put it in a category of bad, bad. Okay. Right? What I found out doing the research for Doctor Singh's episode is that perhaps there are some very positive, good things about psychedelics. Even though they were abused, even though people use them as uh, uh, use them uh, recreationally, there's something there. But you know what? Just how
1: you're feeling right now, I had to get over that, well, too. And, and that's what was going to be my question to you is, like, can you see yourself down the road it, as a psychotherapist using drugs to help people? Mm-hmm. Me personally? you, mean, well, or- you pr- uh, pr- <laughs> well, professionally. Professionally. Yeah. Like, I mean, uh, <laughs> like, obviously, some of these chats we've had with uh, experts, has it changed your mind? Mm. And, and mm. do you see yourself as a psychotherapist down the road, perhaps getting into into this? It's
2: funny you mention it, that I did kind of think about if I was younger, I probably would get an education. Uh, and okay. how do you psychedelics? Because I know there's some colleagues that have gone back to get education that's designed for healthcare professionals to provide psychedelic assisted therapy. Now, another thing to that, Rob, when I was thinking about, wow, is that something like, do I want to be a a therapist involved with a medical team doing clinical trials? Like, you know, like we talked about with Alice, Um, what I found out from colleagues is to be a therapist or a doctor that is prescribing and doing this new method of therapy to know how to administer it. To know how to interpret it, and as she mentioned, there were people around her explaining and helping her understand. You know, um, her experiences from embracing a hedgehog to all of these wild things that they in the, the 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 post part of treatment were able to help her with. These people that helped her have been on psilocybin. Even, even Michael Pollan in, in the uh, Netflix documentary took psilocybin. There's a need to actually personally experience psychedelics before you can actually be a therapist. And that's something that because I've shared on the show, I have a past history of addiction, there's that barrier coming up again that, mm, well, yes, I, I I don't know as a guy in recovery, even though I didn't abuse psychedelics, do I really want to take psychedelics? Take that chance. Right. Right, To take that chance, Uh, even though I I, I do find it fascinating, but I do know that you have to have the experience before you can actually go in and provide the therapy. Well,
1: it's like uh, someone talks about a car. It's like, well, did you drive it? You you, you know, (laughs) like, how can you talk about a car without driving it? So in other words, in order to, uh, you know, use this form of therapy, maybe you've got to test it out, you know?
2: Well, and yeah, absolutely. It, it makes sense. I just, you know, that's another story. You know, a little bit of, you know, uh, thoughts about the, the danger of mm. it um, for a therapist. I mean, we're moving very, very, very fast. So uh, I guess there is a need for their personal experience with it because how can you explain to someone that has this experience that Alice was sharing? You know, how, how can you help them interpret it? So that they can uh, internalize their experience, understand what their experience is, and help reduce depression, anxiety, whatever they're 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 treating. You have to you have to know what the road was, not necessarily driving the car, but you need to know what happens while on the road. Yeah, yeah. That's how that's how I see. Yeah. It. Now the interesting thing is you have your point of view about psychedelics. I do. We've come a long way since you know. We, you know, both in recovery years ago came across these things. I mean, I, I came across people doing acid, I, LSD, many, many different things. Mm-hmm. So coming from that and then doing the podcast and realizing that, yes, it's a thing. In fact, it's considered to be a therapy and and, and these drugs are going to be possibly legalized. Is much like we did when we had the episode about big pharma. You remember oh, that? Yes. Yes. And that really impressed us in the way that, Wow. Uh the companies like Purdue Pharma, who produced OxyContin, are like almost like evil people. Evil corporations were behind pushing these drugs. We brought Dr. Robert in at that time. That's right. To talk about his point of view as a psychologist and that he was around the time when uh, Big Pharma was, was pushing the medication. So what we're going to do, you know, based on this call I had with uh, our Dr. Robert, I'm going, to, um, uh, I'm going to get him to listen to this episode regarding psilocybin, and I get him to listen to the episode uh, a little while ago in ayahuasca with Drew Banky. And I want I want to hear his point of view because he he really uh, looked at it differently from what you and I are are seeing it, much like we did with big pharma. Yeah. So that'll be our, our first segment of of Dr. Robert. Do, do you want to hear his theme song that I that I have here? Do you have it there?
1: Ah uh, yes, the Beatles and Doctor <laughs> Robert. Yes,
2: and uh, yeah, I mean we're, we're you know that's going to be a theme as long as uh, uh, Capitol Records allows us to. <laughs> <laughs>
1: okay,
2: because you and I know that's kind of dicey uh. Uh, to uh, uh, to play songs. Uh,
1: especially Beatles, yeah, songs. great territory. But uh, listen, our thanks to the Beatles. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, uh, John. Thank you, George <laughs> and Ringo. Uh, we do appreciate your efforts here on Mind Body Matters.
2: <laughs> if uh, Rob and I are in jail, this part is going to be edited out, and in the future, you won't be able to hear it. So enjoy it now because uh, we're we're gonna catch shit for it someday.
1: <laughs> anyway, Doctor Robert on uh, next week's show. Absolutely,
2: looking forward to it. Have yourself a good week, Rob. And just a reminder for listeners, if you are auto-downloading our episodes, if you're downloading our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform that you're using to get notifications of a new weekly show, you will become one of our popular listeners because you're part of the gang. You're hearing all of our episodes. That is the audience, Rob, that we would love to hear from. Yes, show us some love. Show us some love. If you want to contact us, uh, if you have some ideas for the show, yeah. and if you found this episode interesting, then give us a five-star review. Next week,
1: we're going to be talking with Dr. Robert. And again, our thanks to the Beatles. We really do appreciate your efforts. <laughs> Listen, have yourself a great week.
2: <laughs> My Body Matters is a great media podcast. We'll be back next week. Meanwhile, be kind to yourself. And most importantly... Be well. What other kind of drugs are you using for your cold, Rob? I wonder. (laughs) Oh, God.